You are listening to CBS Wire. Have you felt afraid today? If you have, you are no way an exceptional case. In modern society, we can order Chinese-made clothing on Wednesday and have it ready for our event on Friday. We can get an artificial heart if the old one stops pumping. And if the heart is broken by love instead of illness, we can find a new partner online within a couple of days. Still, we struggle to shred the fear and conceptions of danger that follow us around daily. We fear terror, we fear medicine, we fear crashing with our plane when we travel to our favorite holiday location. But what do you say we get this fear in a bit of proportion? Because many of our fears are in reality deeply irrational. Professor at CBS and author of the book Dangerous, How They Feed You Fear and Why You Eat It, Stefan Andersen, met with us to help us separate puff from real danger when we talk about fear. Uh, when I was at dinners uh, with friends or colleagues, it's always like the last cat- catastrophic fear mongering thing that becomes a topic of the 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 wine discussions. It's also always something that we have to fear or something that is dangerous to society. That these things seem to be so important in people's life when there's so little to actually fear. Um, and the discussion, the topics that people are happy to discuss, the center of the, the discussion usually becomes what the problem is instead of the solutions. So one of the examples that uh, I took away from me, my red wine diners, uh, dinners is a um, Colleagues or friends that that um, would not take the train into the city anymore, so they they bought a car to drive into the city to drive to work. Because what if something, who somebody bombs one of the central stations in Copenhagen? Uh, and if you look at the news articles, I think a third of the news articles uh, uh, between twenty five and a third of the news articles has has something to do with terror in large periods of, of time over the last many years. But the reality is that if you calculate the probability of dying of terror in Denmark and say, how many years do I have to live before I die of terror? You get to reach your like 50th millionth birthday. Uh, while if you calculate how many years do I have to live before I die of traffic accidents, you're down to the hundreds of thousands of years not the millions of years. So you should not buy a car and drive to work. You should take the public transportation because the chance of actually dying there is so minuscule compared to dying in the traffic. Right. So so I think that's an example of, of Danes fearing something that is absolutely not going to happen. Right. And the incidents that you have had of terror in Denmark, if you count them, is like... It's a tragic thing when it happens, but it's not something that happens very often, right? So my 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 friend and I decided to write this book about what mechanisms different spheres use to induce fears into us, and why they do it, and why we eat it. Yeah, exactly. And maybe if we just 
define the fear that you're talking about because it's not like Kierkegaard's angst. It's uh... no, it's 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 more the fear of uh, the the fear of attention. Right? So so the bombardment of of information that we get from all sides that is we call it fear glue glue fear that you stick something that is wrapped in fear on what you, your interest is and then you throw it at you and then it sticks to you because the fear catches your your attention so it's that kind of fear so it's when you see things in the media when NGOs interact to you when scientists goes up and say you're going to die of this or you're going to die of that or you should be worried about this or you should be worried about that you know, most people sort of seems to to or most um, agents seems to stick fear to their message because then they get your intention and we think we we wrote a funny book uh, sort of with humor saying just notice uh, the tricks that these these people or 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 press or whatever it is sticks to information that's trying to pass on to you to get your attention so it's that kind of fear so we have a chapter on on media uh, where we have a recipe book for dangerous journalism uh, which we find extremely funny so we start off with four steps of how to to sort of recover when the journalist is just trying to get your attention with actually having no content whatsoever and the news that he's trying to bring to you and one of the things that we start off with is just notice the the usage of words uh, may potentially and uh, could because um, as soon as you put these words into a sentence potentially everything can happen and may have this effect one of the things that we like is to search for the puff of the day like the balloon that goes poof, this hot air balloon uh, so when you look at the news in the morning or whenever you look at the news, just f- try to search for the news that you know is never going to happen, which is a fun exercise. Just by the end of the day, you know that, well, it didn't happen anyway. So what better opportunity than this to try to discover whether or not one of my personal fears is a puff of the day or a real danger to me as a person? Yeah. So now I am currently in front of Copenhagen Central Station where I'm about to be picked up by a ride very soon. And why you might uh, ask, it's because while we're on the subject of fear, I want to test one of my own fears. So actually I'm traveling to Kattegat Center to get real up close with some of the animals who have scared me the most through time. So one one puff of the day could be one of the stories that we have in the book is is about birth control pills. One of the newspapers were out saying that birth uh, control pills uh, causes depression. They had a news argument and it was based on a new new research uh, by a Danish doctor. Uh, and of course 
when you do this research, everything is is um, a little bit uncertain. And the, the journalist has an interest in cutting it to the edge of the information that that is actually in the research. And by the end of the day, of course, they've been out interviewing high school students and say, oh, we'll stop eating the pills. I don't want to be depressed and all this hype about it's dangerous. But then the end of the day, like 10 other researchers has been out and say, there might be every pill that you eat has a side effect, but the relative danger of actually eating birth control pills, of not eating it, is much, much higher. And there's other consequences of not protecting yourself that is much higher. So in anything that you do in, in life, there's a risk. And just because one side of the story says it doesn't mean that you should start reacting differently. Do you think that there's a lack of information in the general public that the that people lack the information to separate puff from real news? I don't think they lack the the information. They lack the time to process it. Right. So if you think about a uh, hundred years ago, uh, when a bridge broke down in India, or there was an earthquake in Chile, it was not straight up into your face two minutes after and the amount of sorting of what news were actually relevant was huge so you're not being a hundred years ago you were not being bombarded with information from all different sides because the speed of which you could receive information was much so much slower so it's not lack of information overload right and everybody is trying to get your attention whether it's researchers politicians news uh, agencies everybody's trying to get your attention the challenge is have a mechanism to sort out what is actually relevant for you perfect but why is it that we as uh, human beings are so susceptible, susceptible to fear why, why does media and stuff like that has this fear mongering effect on us because it works right? so, so, so the well, brain the brain is basically trained to handle fear and do something about fear so in the book we have this behavioral uh, psychological side of how the brain sort of sort information and react on the information and fear is one of the mechanisms that the brain reacts right so it's you goes back to when we live on the prairie right and there's a lion and you see the danger of a lion you have to react it's the same mechanism that still so the brain has this kind of systems where it has to react to things that are dangerous and as soon as somebody else wants us to react to something they use that trick yeah and uh, as you just said before fear works but who does it work for what what can somebody earn by selling fear pushing fear so in the book it's we make very clear that this is not a conspiracy so it's not like people are working together to sort of extract rent out of you It's more that everybody wants your attention, right? So think about NGOs, right? That that everybody. So if you're an NGO for the blind people, you want to support the cause of the blind people, and then you have the deaf people, and the NGOs for the deaf people want more better uh, terms for the the deaf people, and then you have the one-armed and the one-legged and other kinds of chronic diseases all of the NGOs want your attention and the, the diabetic and 
the cancer. And all all they want is better terms for the people that has the disease that, that they're supporting, right? The challenge is to get an attention, you have to be important. And the only way to be important is to sort of yell louder. So one of the things that we do in the book is that we count the number of chronically ill in Denmark and we get to the number around 10 million chronically ill, which we find hilarious because I don't have any chronic diseases. Uh, I don't know about you, but let's just say that I don't have any. That means that you have to have at least four for, to make this average go up. And if you think about the number of friends that you have in your sort of sphere and how many chronically ill people there is, the numbers just doesn't add up. And it's not because the diabetes uh, NGO for diabetes is evil. And it's not because they're making revenues on it. It's because they want the attention of people and politicians. Why is this fear-mongering so bad? What impact can it have on both the individual but also society? So one of the messages that we have in the books is that the, the circus of fear, as we call it, um, takes attention away from what is really important right so our final uh, chapter is on climate change and and we completely say that of course we don't disagree that there's a climate change coming like 99% of of, uh, researchers says that there's climate change coming so there's climate change and it's arguing otherwise this is people who want to yeah that can argue that but if you start saying, like these fear marking saying in 50 years we'll be 200 meters underwater and we'll all be living on floating something or other sort of terrorizing scenarios takes away the attention of finding solutions. So the fear mongering of the climate change is is the circle where we're spending time discussing on all the bad things that can happen instead of saying, okay, what can we actually do to change things? And it's the same with anything, like with the radon or whatever else it is, is that if you keep your attention on the fear that is never going to happen, you're not spending time on finding solution on the problem. And while we are on the subject of deep water, Let's return to my little odyssey to find out whether my fear is pure puff or actually poses a real threat to me. Joe, as you might be able to hear, I'm, uh, I've just boarded the ferry towards Aarhus from Sjællandsøde. Uh, and right now I'm standing at the back of the ferry looking into the deep blue sea. And the deep blue sea is also the name of the movie who first tricked my most irrational fear as the clever listener might have guessed, I'm going to Kattegat Center to get real up, up close with one of uh, the most dreaded beasts in uh, all of mankind's history, the shark. Um, even though the number of shark kills is very limited per year, that's still one of the things we fear the absolute most when we dive into water. So now I'm hoping that I can go to Kattegat Center and see if I might be able to use the tricks I've learned to get rid of my irrational fear of sharks. But before we reach our final destination and dive into the jaws of my fear, 
let's ask Stefan Andersen one final question. A question that I strongly urge you to ask yourself next time you browse through today's gory news. My father-in-law always says that he is kind of sorry that we shall, that me and uh, his daughter are going to grow up in this increasingly violent world. How is the world today if you look at overall violence, uh, wars, uh, gang violence, violence overall? So let me rephrase this, and this we stole this from somebody else. If you did not know whether you were rich or poor, whether you were homosexual or, or st- straight, whatever that means in this sentence, uh, you did not know whether you were female or male, you did not know whether you were Asian, African, American, South American, in which time period would you choose to be born? Would you be born today or a hundred years ago? Or maybe even you want to wish to be born in the future, right? Because at every path that we've taken for the last millenniums, things has just gotten better, right? So they did not have, women did not have a voting right 200 years ago, right? Homosexuals did not have a safe haven or as safe haven as they have now compared to a hundred years ago right? so it, pretty much every aspect that you see it's a better world that we live in you have these seven pointers in order to get rid of some of the fear mongering uh, clear, clear your mind can you give them to me now so I'll do three of them just uh, to sort of pick three that I think is is fun first one is to activate the spam filter Meaning that when you see something presented to you, if you see the words could, may, potential, all those words that basically makes the sentence meaningless, you stop listening. That's a spam filter of information translated uh, given to you. Second, activate the filter saying that if somebody is trying to induce fear, it's just to get your attention. And that's an actable tool. Third one is ask for the frequency not the number so don't count the number of bad things that can happen count how often it happens so it's 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 asking for the denominator if i say four people were killed in car accidents you should ask how big a population was it was it 10 billion people living there because then it doesn't matter right so It's like, how many shark attacks do we have every year? And we say, oh, we have 10 be- dead people every year of shark attacks. And he goes, okay, how many go actually go swimming in the sea? And you go, okay, the probability that I will be eaten by a shark is probably not something I should worry about. It is pretty easy to damper the fear when I'm in Stefan Andersen's office at Copenhagen Business School. But let's see how I fare when Stefan Andersen's friendly face is replaced with that of a dead-eyed reef shark. So now I'm right outside of Kattegat Center and uh, I am extremely close to a big tank full of sharks. But uh, in order to assist me a little bit when I'm going uh, head to toe with these predators that I've dreaded ever since watching movies like Jaws and Deep Blue Sea, 
I made an appointment with uh, Liv Bertelsen, who's a guide at Kattegat Center, who hopefully can tell me a bit more about the dangers or non-dangers and puff surrounding this animal. Hi, hi. Yeah, perfect. And uh, actually now we are right in front of the shark tank, which is kind of unnerving to me. <laughs> do you get, or where do you think it comes from, this idea that sharks are a very dangerous animal? Well, they are, of course, an apex predator, which means that many of the bigger sharks are in the top of the food chain. So I think very naturally, in the long history of humans, we haven't always been at the top of the food chain, which means that we have been used to fearing the bigger animals. And sharks do have a lot of teeth. <laughs> so I, I can completely understand that they can seem unnerving. But I also think that stuff like the media is extremely good at um, painting a picture of a shark as being very, very aggressive. And actually one of the things that we experience out here is that sharks are really good at feeling their own hunger. So when you go in for an extra piece just because it looks delicious, the shark doesn't, because it's full. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So now we're kind of approaching it, but what is the truth about sharks? Are they a dangerous animal? There are so many cases of human-shark interactions, so many people every single day that go out to the waters that uh, swim with sharks without anything happening. And it is the fewer cases where it goes wrong. Yeah, do you know anything about the average number of shark kills a year? A year? In the last 20 years, there has been six people dying each year from shark attacks. So six people, that's, that's not really that many. There has uh, last year there were five people that were killed. Uh, I just looked up some statistics yesterday, and in the U.S. in America, last year 380 people were killed by dogs. By dogs, <laughs> this animal that we love and everyone would—not everyone, but a lot of people would gladly take into their homes—killed 380 people, and there were five fatal shark attacks. So these things are completely out of proportion, but that's how irrational fears works. Do we have anything else here at Kattegat Center that people fear? We have a lot of uh, fun things that people fear, and one of the things is, is the common shore crab. So every uh, summer we have this tournament where people come out and they catch crabs, and we try to see which one uh, are the biggest. And a lot of times we experience that both the parents and also the children are afraid of taking the crabs out of the water and bringing them to us, simply because they're afraid that the claws will get them. <laughs> okay, and that is even more irrational or deeply irrational. <laughs> how, how many uh, fatal attacks have there been by crabs during the last hundred years? <laughs> I don't think there's been a single one, and if it were, it would be someone had eaten a bad crab. <laughs> uh, which is more dangerous, the shark towards humans, or the humans towards the sharks? That is definitely the humans towards the sharks. So as I told before, just around six humans have a fatal encounter with sharks each year, and the other way around, sharks uh, have a fatal account with humans. Humans 
um, above millions of times each year. So multiple millions, 10 millions, maybe even more sharks die each year with encounters with humans in fishing nets because we catch them, because we like to eat them, all these different things. Um, and also, sadly, sometimes simply for the reason that we are afraid of them. And with a kind of simple logic, if there isn't any sharks in the water, there's no reason to fear sharks in the water. So now I've said uh, goodbye to Liu and ventured down in the tunnel that runs beneath the shark tank in order to get as close as possible to the sharks at Kattegat Center. And right now I have a reef shark swimming approximately 20 centimeters from my head and even though every rational thought in my head is telling me that this shark cannot possibly come anywhere near me I still feel a bit tense with this shark being so close to me it is by appearance a born killer the double rows of teeth the slender body the dead eyes the lurking appearance still strikes me with quite a lot of fear but uh, maybe I should try to use some of the tricks I picked up during this journey yes let's do exactly that use a bit of what I've learned during this podcast to get my fear of the predator in front of me a bit into proportion because how did I get to Kattegat Center? Do you remember? Yep, first I got into a car, and last year alone 175 people were killed in traffic. In reality, traffic is a massive killer compared to all the other things we fear in our daily life. Thereafter I boarded a ferry, though way safer than traveling by car. Søfartsstyrelsen have registered 74 fatal accidents at sea during the period 2004, to 2014 and that's employee accidents alone and then we have the lurking shark in front of me mouth filled to the brink with teeth genetically engineered to kill its prey as the predator it is how many kills does this spawn killer and a pop cultural favorite account for here in Denmark yeah so now we are in front of a couple of shark teeth here but uh, if you just tell me um how many shark attacks have there been noticed in Denmark? So, actually one of the things that people don't know is that we have quite a lot of shark species in Denmark. We have, in all the time they've noted down, 27 different species of sharks has been seen in Danish waters. Usually we only have around 14. And in all the time we have CAF protocol, there's never been a shark attack in Denmark. So fear is a human condition, that's clear by now, but a condition that can easily be manipulated by people who need to get their message through. The book Dangerous, How They Feed Your Fear and Why You Eat It by Stefan Andersen and Hans Jørgen Nielsen offer both tools and explanations when it comes to fear. And who knows, you might too learn that the real danger lies at the highways and not between the jaws of a shark. If you like what you heard, don't hesitate to press subscribe on iTunes and Podcast Addict. And if you really, really like what you heard, please go ahead and rate us. You have listened to CBS Wire.